Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good to see you. Nice crowd out this morning. We uh, we have a few visitors that uh, we're mighty proud to have them here. Members of the English Lodge, Masonic Lodge here in uh, in Lexington. Uh, this is the uh, broadcast and on hand uh, worship service for Lex or of Lexington Christian Church here in. Uh, Beautiful downtown Lexington, Indiana. It's It is dark, isn't it? Oh, it's uh, it's good to have everybody here. Amen. Let's uh, start to worship the Lord by recording any birthdays we might have. Brother Bob, did you have your hand up? No? All right. Wayne? Catching up? Quite an array. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. Anniversaries. No anniversaries, and I think you're off the hook, Mitch. Just so John Sheila come in. Well, let's uh, let's continue our praise and worship this morning by uh, turning to number fifty-nine in your hymnal. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's stand and sing. Something about that name. Amen. <clears throat> Jesus. Jesus. 
Mitch, will you lead us in prayer, please? Sure. Our Father in God, Lord, we are so grateful. The name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is mercy in the name of Jesus. There is grace in the name of Jesus. There is salvation in the name of Jesus. We proclaim your name. We proclaim your word. And we ask you to be with us and to bless all that is said and all that is done that honors you. May it touch every heart, every mind, and draw us closer to you and to one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Our communion hymn this morning, uh, well, let me, let me explain a little something uh, first for our visitors. Uh, we do not have a formal taking of the emblems. Uh, communion is it's, it's coming in union, me and God, you and God personally. So there's no set time, although I will uh, indicate when you may take the emblems, but it's up to you when you take them. I want everyone to be comfortable with this. When you're ready and partake of the emblems. But right now we'll have a uh, meditation from Brother John Clemick. Oh, well, we might do that. We might do the hymn first. All right, we can do that. If you insist. Number 254. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life, what more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he John Clement for bringing meditation. Well, I hope uh, everyone here gets something from this because we were over halfway here and I said, oh, I forgot my reading. So, <laughs> turned around and uh, yeah, I might have went over a couple speed limits coming back. but So, here it is. Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Amen. This statement, no doubt, caused many fireside debates among Jesus' disciples. They had seen men carrying crosses before, 
and they knew it only had one outcome, a painful, humiliating death for the one bearing that burden. One disciple, Simon Peter, was adamant that Jesus would never, never suffer in such a manner, but Jesus would have none of Peter's argument. Jesus would take up his cross. When that specific Friday arrived, Jesus did carry a physical cross. All his life leading up to that date, though, Jesus bore another type of cross. He bore the death sentence of needing to die for the world because he did not seek his own way. Jesus humbled himself by dying on the cross in our place. For this, God has highly exalted him. The cross was the power that conquered Satan and sin. The cross, Christ, is his greatest triumph and glory. As we realize the power of Christ's crucifixion, we live as ones who have died to the world and to sin. As Christians, we must bear the cross, acknowledging that we are worthy of death, believing that we are crucified with Christ and and that the crucified one lives in us. Romans 6, 6, we know that our sinful selves were crucified with Christ. When we accept this life of the cross, we are able to say, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Yes. Amen. Let us pray. Dear God, today we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ to remember the extraordinary sacrifice you made in sending Jesus, your beloved Son, to be with us. Lord, we come to you now to ask for forgiveness for any thoughts, words, or deeds that have not honored your name. We are also truly sorry for the times we have chosen to live selfishly rather than heed your calling. We invite you into our hearts now as we take communion. As we share this meal, come bind us together as one family filled with your love. Thank you, Lord, for your grace that is at work in our lives. Amen. Let's take a few moments just uh, for a little meditation, a little little face-to-face talk just between us and God. When you're ready, then take the emblems. When Jesus and his disciples were gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal, Jesus took bread and blessed it, broke it, gave to each of them, saying, This is my body, broken for you, eat ye of it. And likewise the cup, when they had eaten, Jesus took it and giving thanks, passed it among his disciples, saying, This is the blood of the new covenant shed for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Drink of it, all of you.
Let's stand for the doxology. Let's turn to hymn number one. A mighty fortress is our God. Morning. morning. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord? Uh, we are grateful to have our Lodge brothers from Lodge 622, English Lodge, here in town. And uh, I know that uh, some folks uh, don't have good opinions of the Masonic Lodge. And uh, for them, I would like to say that the Masonic Lodge is a very good organization. 
Many of the things that you've heard that are negative have come from sources that either don't know anything about the Masonic Lodge, which is usually the way it is, or they have been in the Masonic Lodge, and because they failed to live like a Mason, like the Bible teaches, they were expelled from the Masonic Lodge, and so they only say bad things about us. I'm not trying to say that it's a perfect organization. It is not. I'm not trying to say that everybody in it is good because they are not. But I can assure you that I would not affiliate myself, nor would I invite others in if I thought there was something evil. I am your shepherd. I would not let the wolf in. So I hope that... uh, You know, if you still have negative thoughts because you've heard it from pastors that are of great renown, theologians who know everything, (laughs) but they don't. They've never been a Mason. They've heard negative things and they have regurgitated it. That's all that is. They've never been a part of it. Most of them have never known anyone who truly was a mason. If they did, they would know that everything, all the rituals, all the teachings is based on scripture. Everything. There are characters that are Bible characters that are taken uh, and used as examples for us to learn how to live as they call it masons, masonic men, But we would call it being biblical. (laughs) We would call it living according to the scripture. And one of those characters is what we refer to as St. John the Baptist. There's also St. John the Evangelist, which again are biblical characters. Calling them St. John is uh, more affiliated with Catholicism or Lutheranism, some of the other denominational backgrounds. But nonetheless, we are all saints. If we are a Christian, we are a saint, according to Scripture. And the things that St. John the Baptist did, we're familiar with from the stories in, in the Scripture, how he went around baptizing people to purify them, this white apron, the, the white represents that it is purity, holy purity. Uh, and does that mean that everybody that wears it is? No, it does not. Everyone who claims to be a Christian is not either. <laughs> uh, so, you know, depending on how you look at things, you can think of all the negative things and choose that, or you can... Look at some of the works and the things that people in the Masons have done and maybe have a more informed decision than just listening to others who know nothing or very little about it and everything they've heard is negative. I don't agree with the, uh, there is a segment of uh, the, the Masons that are known for drinking and carousing Uh, don't agree with that whatsoever. When I used to work at the gas station in downtown Louisville when I was a young man, these Shriners used to come in on their little go-karts and mini bikes and motorcycles, and they couldn't even walk. They were so drunk they couldn't walk. And they would argue with me over payment. And that really left a bad taste in my mouth, folks. We left a very bad taste in my mouth. And then my dad joined the Masonic Lodge. And I was like, uh-uh, no way. And I chastised him. And he said, do you really think that I would join something that was evil? I mean, he was a Sunday school uh, superintendent at a Baptist church. He knew the scripture. He was also a scientist. So I had to rethink. I still had my suspicions and my uh, was holding on 
to all the negative things that I'd heard and thought. And finally, when I came to this church, when I first got here, the majority of the elders were Masons. My father had passed away not long before I came here. And uh, I decided to find out for myself instead of wondering. And I have yet to find anything that's bad, with the exception, one thing I very much disagree with is that in the, at least in the Blue Lodge, the English Lodge, you do not have to believe in Jesus, and you do not have to believe in Yahweh. It can be any God. And that's the one thing that, I've, that I have a problem with. But in this Lodge, every person there believes in the true and living God. And the majority, from what I have seen and observed, also believe in Jesus. So, please don't be offended by the apron, by the insignia. Uh, this is still Brother Mitch. I have not changed from last Sunday. <laughs> We're going to have Mark come up. He's got something that he wants to share uh, a little bit about this uh, this occasion. So, Brother Mark, if you want to come on up and share that. Why are you going so slow? <laughs> well, I can go a little faster. I guess it's, there it is. Yeah, hey, you got it. Uh, first of all, I'd like to thank the elders of the church for inviting our lodge to participate this morning. Um, Mitch, at first of all, let me introduce myself for those of you who may not know who I am. My name is Mark Obermiller, and I am the master of English Lodge 622. Um, I was elected this uh, last past December, and it uh, was a great honor that I was put into that position. Uh, Mitch has pretty much said everything I was going to say, um, which I'm very grateful for, and um, this is a, a, a writing, and I don't know who the author is, um, but it's who and what are Masons. And I'm going to kind of jump ahead just a little bit. Uh, as um, Masonry is not a religion, but Masonry is based on religion. So we are a, what we call a religious organization. Um, we have the God's word in our lodge. We have the Holy Bible in our lodge, and it is opened when we have our meetings. We read scripture in our lodge. Parts of of masonry that's above the blue lodge, which is the, it's the beginning. There's part where you must confess uh, that you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So um, the negativity, as Mitch has already mentioned, it's all hogwash. So. Um, we are a fraternity of brothers, of like-minded brothers. Uh, we are what some would describe as a social club. We also are an organization of charity. One of the greatest charities of masonry, which is mainly comes through the party hounds, the Shriners, are the Shriners Hospitals. The Shriners donate millions of dollars each and every year for children. And if there's anyone here who has a child uh, that may not be covered in insurance or the family is in need, do not hesitate to contact a Mason or a Shriner. All Shriners are Masons. 
do not hesitate to contact them and say, hey, I have a child in need. And I guarantee that child will be taken care of. That is a promise. You can take it to the bank. That is a promise. I'm going to start right here. There have always been those who oppose frat orders. And when the objections of such individuals or groups have ended in fragmentation, they have always resorted to classifying Freemasonry as a secret order with the implication that secret is also corrupt, deceitful, or sinful. The purposes, aims, and doctrines of Freemasonry have never been concealed and have been well discussed in many publications which remain available in public libraries. It is also noted that corrupt and deceitful organizations soon disappear while Freemasonry has withstood the test of the ages. It is not a secret order, and Masons have the same rights as other people, one of which is the right of privacy. All human groups and institutions have secret, or more correctly stated, private affairs which they do not make public. Families have discussions which are of no concerns to their neighbors or the general public. Church councils convene and selected committees to resolve matters which require prompt or discreet action. Civic organizations form special committees and draft plans which may never be made public. In labor and industry, boards of directors make decisions which are of no concern to their competitors. <coughs> While such actions are completed privately or secretly, this is certainly no evidence that they are in any way corrupt, deceitful, or unwholesome. If these and other groups have matters which they discuss in private, it is only reasonable to assume that Masons might also wish to engage in the lawful pursuit of their own business in privacy. Freemasonry is not a mere social institution, even though it provides social contact and many friendships have begun in the Lodge. But its primary purpose has always been and still remains the advancement of its doctrines of temperance, fortitude, prudence, justice, brotherly love, relief, and truth. It is not an insurance or burial society or a vehicle to increase one's personal business, ambitions, or special material interest. Masons are not required to patronize each other, and any material benefits which may come to a Mason will result from the reputation he establishes and maintains, and not because he is a member of the Masonic Lodge. Freemasonry requires a belief in God, and while it is a religious in its concept, it is not a religious or a substitute for the church. The Masonic ritual teaches responsibility to God and dependence on God and should therefore strengthen one's loyalty to his church. Religious discussions often result in disagreement and for this reason such discussions are prohibited in Lodge. That which might disrupt the harmony among the members can not be tolerated. In the interest of harmony, partisan politics, discussions are also prohibited. A Mason's political beliefs are his own, although they must confirm to the good citizenship. Even a member running for public office has no right to expect the support of other Masons merely because he is a member of the Lodge. Freemasonry means that no man will ever introduce controversial sectarian questions into the Lodge. He may pay no heed to those who attack the fraternity. He will adhere to his belief in God and be ever loyal to his church. He will remain a good citizen, obeying the laws of Freemasonry and the civic laws under whose protection he lives. I hope this does clear up some things about Masonry. Right now, we are mourning a loss of a brother. Brother Jason, would you like to bring the apron and the jewel up? 
We have lost a brother. This is Brother Jason Middleton. He is the junior warden of our lodge. His father, Rick Middleton, passed away. This is his apron and his jewel. He was the junior steward of our lodge, one of the officers. He's also a member of this church. We just wanted to honor him um, publicly. His memorial service will be next Saturday at the lodge. Visitation from 1 to 3. Um, Masonic last rites will begin at 3. Christian service after that. And then we will have a meal served after that. All are, are encouraged to attend this memorial. One of the things that is Brother Mitch touched on is the apron. Why do we wear aprons? Well, an apron is a lambskin or white mother apron is an emblem of innocence and the badge of a mason. Who is our emblem of innocence in the church? Our sacrificial lamb, the God, Jesus Christ. I want to thank you for inviting us here today. God bless each and every one of you all. Thank you, brother. Also, my other brother in attendance here is uh, Dave Cooper. He is uh, the senior deacon of our lodge. And, of course, you know Brother Bob. He is our chaplain. And Brother Mitch is a member of the lodge. So thank you so very much for having us today. And God bless you. All right. Brother Mitch, yes. if I may add something to that. Sure. Mark is correct about the Shriners taking care of children. However, they specialize in certain areas of medical care. They specialize in cleft palate repair, orthopedic problems, children who have uh, you know, issues with their uh, mobility, if you will, burners uh, especially. And um, forgive me, I'm on the spot now. I can't remember the last There are four specialized areas of medical care that they, burn, they take care of. He got burned. I said you covered burn. Somebody said that. Thank you. Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> our text this morning is very long, and I'm not going to cover all of it, but it comes from 1 Kings chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, and it talks about uh, King Solomon's temple uh, and the things within the temple. Everything that was placed in the temple has some meaning behind it some foreshadow of things to come even. And so uh, I have a short video. It's a little over six minutes, I think. And I want us to watch that, and then I'll share a little bit about that. It covers a lot of what's in the text. So we'll look at that, and then I'll share a little bit and close out. Mark, could you play the video? Okay, it's not wanting to play. Imagine that. <clears throat> this Solomon's bit. Temple. There it goes. No picture, though. Oh, no. Stop that. Yeah, wrong video. Getting attacked this morning. (laughs) 
We may have a video, we may not. <laughs> the video, if it plays, it is a very good about showing and Solomon's describing. Temple. King Solomon of Israel constructed a temple in Jerusalem to... Okay, that's all right. We'll just move on. <laughs> Got to get that one stopped again. <laughs> that's all right. The video talks about the creation of the temple, the significance of the temple. So we'll just read some from the scripture here instead. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Hiram or Huram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, and whose father was a man of Tyre and a craftsman in bronze. Hiram was highly skilled and experienced in all kinds of bronze work. He came to King Solomon and did all the work assigned to him. He cast two bronze pillars, eight each 18 cubits high and 12 cubits round by line. He also made two capitals of cast bronze to set on the tops of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high. A network of interwoven chains festooned the capitals on top of the pillars. Seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows, encircling each inner work to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capitals on top of the pillars and the portico were in the shape of lilies, four cubits high. On the capitals of both pillars, above the bowl-shaped part next to the network, were the 200 pomegranates in rows all around. He erected the pillars at the portico of the temple. The pillar to the south he named Jachin, and the one on the north, Boaz. The capitals on top were in the shape of lilies, and so the work of the pillars was completed. Now I'm going to stop there for just a minute, because this is very ornate, very detailed work. It is something that our minds have a hard time wrapping around. That's why I was hoping to have a picture. But, <laughs> but the thing is, is that you think about, this was a man who was uh, from another place. He was from Tyre. He was half Jewish. And he came to help King Solomon to build not only his palace, but this temple. And this temple was magnificent. It was an art, you know, that was created in the mind of God and then passed down to these men. God transmitted what he wanted to see each and every detail. He transmitted to Hiram's mind and, and his workers and they were able to create all of these ornate, beautiful designs. Bronze, gold, shiny, beautiful. Lilies. Who's the lily of the valley? That's the significance of the lilies. Pomegranates. Now, some believe that a pomegranate, rather than an apple, <laughs> may have been the fruit that... Uh, was on the tree. We don't know that, uh, the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know that for sure, but we do know there's plenty of pomegranates growing there, much more than apples. Uh, but there's other significance to pomegranates that um, are significant to the people that were there in those days. They sometimes survived. And when they were traveling by eating a pomegranate because they had a little juice in them and give you a little moisture. And they also would sustain you while you passed to the next place that you were headed to. 
these uh, two cubits, Jachin and, and Boaz, uh, these are named after, the, you know, the pillars of the community. Uh, but there also is meaning, and in the Hebrew, the, uh, it's actually Yachin, Yachin, uh, instead of what we say, Jachin, and uh, of course, Boaz is still Boaz. So, Boaz, we know, was the grandfather of King David. He was a man who was a kinsman redeemer to Ruth. He purchased the land, and by doing so, he also bought Ruth as his bride. And as a result of being that kinsman redeemer, which, by the way, Christ is our kinsman redeemer. He purchased us. When we owed a debt that we could not pay, he paid it for us. He purchased us with his blood, power, and strength, and wisdom are what these things traditionally stand for, Jacob and, and Boaz, wisdom and strength. And where else do we get wisdom and strength if we don't get it from the house of God? From the very words of God, we are given wisdom and strength. Wisdom to know what is right and what is wrong. Wisdom to know what we should do and what we should not do. And strength to stand up and do it. To do the right and to fight against the wrong. That is the meaning behind these things. All of the bronze, all of the beauty is also significant that the bronze can mean uh, that it is a, a, a block between you and God, but it can also mean the bronze is a type of reflector. It reflects our image, and we are made in the image of God. And as we accept Christ and live a godly life, that reflection looks more and more like we should look as being created in the image of God. We must learn what the Bible teaches. You know, it doesn't matter what organization you're a part of. It doesn't matter unless you're a member of the family of God. That's the only organization that really matters. That's the only one that can truly mold us and make us worthy of heaven. You know, the temple holds a special meaning in Masonic teaching. And all of these things are pointed out to show that as a Mason, we have an obligation to live in such a way that we honor God and live up to what his word teaches. That is exactly what we teach right here in the church. The word of God is where we go. No matter what it is you face, no matter what challenge No matter how bad your circumstances may seem or how great they are, we should always come to the Word of God so that we can learn what God wants from us right now in the circumstance that I'm in. You know, sometimes we go through such hard times and the only way we can face it, the only way we can get through it is if We hold on to God. If we let Jesus hold our hand and walk us through it. 
But then if we're not careful, after we get through that, we're so elated and we feel so good and so grateful that we got through that, that we forget to keep holding on to Jesus' hand and letting him lead us. You ever been there? You know what I mean? <laughs> we, we feel so grateful that that's over. Well, I don't need you anymore. I'm okay now. Wrong again. <laughs> we must hold on to Jesus no matter what. You know, I can remember too when the second temple was built. There were older people there. Some were crying and some were rejoicing. The younger people who had not seen this original were rejoicing that they had their temple back, that they had a place they could go and worship. The older people, though, were weeping because it was so lacking in beauty compared to the original temple. It says that you couldn't tell whether they were laughing or crying. You could hear it all, all at the same time. And then they were told to rejoice. Because you have a temple, because you have a place. You see, we have a temple, and this building is not it. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that when Paul said it to one of the groups of people, I'm sorry, I can't remember now, but anyway, he said, you're acting as mere men. What did he mean by that? You're acting like men without the Holy Spirit. You see, we are more than just men. We're more than just human. We're also divine. The Holy Spirit lives in you. That is divine. That is God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of each one of us. And he wants to be in charge. <laughs> he wants to be the one that leads us every step we take and every word we speak. And we must learn to submit to him and allow him. Otherwise, we too will be acting as just mere men. In another place, they're referred to as brute beasts. Why? Because they're led by the flesh, not by the Spirit of God. The whole point of the temple was to have a place to meet with God. They brought in the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Well, one of the main things was the law of God, the Ten Commandments was there. The words of God, the commands of God, which represents the wisdom of God. It represents the law of God for us. We still to this day would not know what sin was unless we knew what the Ten Commandments say. The Ten Commandments is our schoolmaster that teaches us what sin is. And when we know that we have sinned, then we have an obligation to deal with it. When you realize there's a holy God who is so separate from anything else because he created everything. He is so other than anything else. And yet he made everything. He made you. He made me. And he made us in his image. We are blessed above all the other creation. And then he turned around and sent his son to die so that we could be set free from the bondage of sin. And when we come to that point of recognition of our sinfulness and our need of a Savior, and we submit to that Savior and we cry out to him and we confess our sins... And we repent of those sins. Turn away from a, a, a life of sin and turn to God. 
and a life of holiness and obedience to Christ and his word. Once we do that, then our bodies become a temple. What makes it a temple? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Again, the temple is all about the presence of God, a place to meet with God. You know, every moment of every day, we are in God's presence. He said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He is always there. You know, I had a I had a friend in high school, and at one point he told me, he said, you know, I'll always be here for you. No matter what, I'll always be here for you. And he was, until I had a great need. <laughs> then he wasn't there anymore. Oh, well, sorry, can't help you. I don't have time, sorry. You know, and that's okay. I didn't hold it against him, but when God says... He'll always be there. He means it. He will always be there. The question's not, is God there? The question is, am I there with God? That's what we need to ponder on. Am I seeking to be in the presence of God every moment of every day? Or am I seeking relief through I don't know, comfort food, (laughs) novels, TV shows, movies. Am I seeking my comfort in shopping? Uh, Anything else other than Jesus. Jesus Christ is the only one we need for our comfort, for our joy, for our salvation, for life, and for death and resurrection he is there he will walk with us every step we take on this earth and then when we leave this earth he will walk with us in heaven glory (laughs) I can't wait to see Jesus face to face there may be a few moments that will be uncomfortable (laughs) when we first see him And he says, why didn't you do this, or why did you do that? But then he's going to say, come on in, son. Come on in, daughter. I love you. Come on in. Let's go eat. (laughs) Meet the family. (laughs) Can you imagine that reunion? Wow. I look so forward to that day. I hope that everyone here can say, if you were asked right now, if you died today, would you go to heaven? I hope every single one of you can with confidence say, yes, yes, I know I will. And if you can't, then let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Let's, let's see what it's going to take to get you to the point to where you're confident to be able to say, yes, if I died right now, I'm going to be with the Lord faster than you can blink your eye. <laughs> uh, so if you have a need this morning, just find the Lord and come as we sing. Brother Bob. Our hymn of invitation and of consecration this morning is number 412. Draw me nearer, blessed Lord. Let's stand.
seated. Brother Mitch, you have anything else? Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, if we uh, have nothing else of, for the good of the order. Historical Society. That's right, it does. Historical Society meets tomorrow evening at 6. We're having them now, right? So, the what? Yeah, right. Yes, thank you, man. Ah, okay. Prayer list. I can do that. They say a benediction, well, translated, bene is good, and uh, diction is words. So, lay the good word on us. All right. Uh, once again, uh, thanks, uh, brothers from the Lodge. Appreciate you coming this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, that you love us so much. And thank you for your word. And your word is so filled with deep teaching, Lord. There's so much that we often miss. But after we go over it and over it and over it, you finally are able to open our eyes. Thank you, Lord, that you're patient with us. Help us to walk with you every step we take to speak for you with everyone that we meet. Help us to love as we are loved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Blessed be the tie that binds. Let's sing.